leads to all kinds of missed opportunities, and it adds up to a life that just it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't fulfill the potential that God put in you at creation. So if you decide to live a life that will make a difference in God's kingdom, what good will it do? Well, the flip side of this coin here is that when you live to make a difference, you reach your potential. You experience a much deeper, happier life. You've got better relationships. Uh, You make the world a better place. Now today, as I told you before, we're going to look at the last chapter of Deuteronomy. It's the death and burial of Moses. And I want to at least give you three suggestions that you could put into practice about how to make this world a better place. And if anyone lived to make a difference, I'd have to say it was Moses. I mean, just look at the difference that he made. I mean, he compiled and wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, some people are going to say, well, hold on, if he wrote Deuteronomy, how did he write about his death and burial? Well, you figure that one out. I already know the answer. Okay. Uh, in, in addition to that, he was the one who led the children of Israel out of bondage from Egypt. He was the one who God gave the Ten Commandments to. Uh, he is the central figure, even today, in three dominant world religions. Now, which three dominant world religions would Moses be a central figure in? Well, I already know the answer. You can figure that out. You want to know after a while, I'll tell you. Deuteronomy 34, though, gives us three things to see here. Here's the first thing, and this is a rather sobering thought when you think about it. When your time comes, you will be mourned, but not forever. In other other words, when you die, people will be unhappy for a while. Listen again what I read about Moses in verses 7 and 8. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, his strength not gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now, i got to tell you, friends, no matter who it is that's gone, life goes on. Even if it's one of the greatest people who's ever lived, if it was the greatest person who's ever walked this planet, when they die, life goes on. Now, I'll tell you, that kind of bothers me a little bit because I kind of like to think sometimes that when I die, that the world will kind of come to a screeching halt. And nothing will get done and life will just kind of spin out of control. But I've been to enough funerals to realize that ain't going to happen when I die either. Now, if you want another sobering fact, do you know what is the major determinator for attendance at a funeral? It's not how many great things you accomplish or how many people who love you. The number one factor in the attendance at a funeral is weather. Because if it rains or snows, people are less likely to come. How's that for a sobering thought? Now, I'm not trying to depress anybody here this morning. I hope I'm not doing that. I'm trying to, rather than to depress you, I'm trying to impress on you something And it's a simple and sobering truth. You will be mourned for a while, no matter who you are, how much and how long they mourn for you will be determined by the kind of life you live 
that you build for yourself before the end comes. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. In order to live to make a difference, devote yourself to a vision that will outlive you. Now, again, we look at verses 1 to 4. Uh, it says that Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the lands of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea and the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Now listen to this next sentence. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Why was Moses not allowed to go into the promised land? Well, it goes back to a failure of leadership. It actually goes back to a failure in obedience. In Numbers chapter 20, uh, Moses was dealing with the complaining people. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, I always love this when it said, the people murmured against God and against Moses. Can you imagine several million people going, murmur, murmur, murmur? What, it, what does it sound like if just you guys do that? Do it for a while. Murmur, murmur, yeah. They were unhappy. They, they didn't have any water. And so uh, one time God says, take your staff, go over and whack a rock, and water will come out. And it did. But they started doing what again? And, and, and this time God says, okay, go back, smack a rock. Moses, by this time, was fed up to hear with these murmuring people. And so he smacked the rock twice. Bam, bam. And water came out. And then he took credit for it. He said, why must we do this all the time? Now, in Numbers 20, verse 12, there it is. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty harsh judgment. But I want you to know that this is also another sobering truth. The other sobering truth of life is this, that your failures, your mistakes, mine, will limit what we can ultimately accomplish for God in this kingdom. There's not a single person in this world who will ever end their life that couldn't look back and say, there was more I could have done or more I could have done better. A lot of people end up by saying, you know, if I only had greater faith, if only I had been more obedient, if only I had been more committed, only if I'd worked harder, if only I had taken more chances. And guess what? This didn't just happen to Moses. It happened to King David. Remember, King David was not allowed to build the temple he so desperately wanted to build. Why not? It's because he was a man of war. God said, your hands are covered with blood. You can't do that. And I always think, well, it doesn't just happen to great people like that, but I will say that when you know it happens to great people like that, you can pretty much be assured it'll happen to ordinary people like Ted, me, Nancy. It's going to happen to us as well. Our failures, our mistakes, our sins, whatever you want to call them, will ultimately limit whatever we are trying to accomplish in the kingdom of God. That's why it's crucial to have a vision that is greater than you. 
a vision that will outlast any vision you might conjure up. Now, I don't know if you know what a megachurch is. A megachurch, we've got hundreds of them scattered across the United States and around the world, but megachurches are these churches of several thousand people. You know, my children, for example, went to Fellowship Church in Grapevine for a number of years, a church that would worship, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people on the weekend. Turn on your television, you'll see great preachers from these megachurches, mega-ministries. But as we're studying these churches today, we're seeing that some ministries aren't bigger than their founding pastor. We're seeing that some churches cannot survive the loss of their pastor. We're seeing ministries that can't survive the loss of whoever the president of their ministry is. See, when that person is there, the ministry sizzles, but when he's gone, it fizzles. And that happens because the ministry or the church was all based on a person rather than on God and on God's vision for that ministry or that church. Now, if you look at the life of Moses, Moses' leadership was not about him. It was based on what? The vision that God had given his people. And even without Moses in leadership, the people were able to go where God wanted them to go. And yet that's how many people, sadly, organize their area of leadership today. They do it in such a way that it won't go on without them. And I find that really sad. In fact, if you want to if you want to live a life that makes a difference in God's kingdom, you need to devote yourself to something far bigger than you. And that's the vision that God would give you. A vision that will outlast you. Now, personally, I want my vision to always be greater than something that I personally can accomplish. And I've felt this way my whole life. If I can do it, it's not much of a vision. I'd like to be able to do something that's so big that only God could do it. I don't know if you guys remember, but that's how that new building got built at Lord of Life. It's like, if we can build this building and we can do it, eh. But if it's going to stretch us, and this is going to only happen if God can do it, a little bit bigger vision. I want my eyes to see more than my hands can ever hold. And I want the work to continue long after people who have forgotten who I am. Many of you know that my life motto is see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. I sign that every time I write a monthly newsletter. What is this vision we're supposed to see? Well, we know that the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18a, King James Version at least, where there is no vision, the people perish. What is the vision we ought to see that's greater than ours? I want to suggest to you that vision is past, present, and future. The past vision we ought to see is that our sins have been forgiven. That's one thing I always think, wow, look, all of that's forgiven. We ought to have a vision for today where we have power. That's what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says about Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will have what? An anemic little church on the corner. No, it says when the Holy Spirit comes, 
you will have power and you will be my witnesses. I mean, that's a vision for today. And then there's this grand vision for tomorrow. What's the grand vision for tomorrow? Oh, Jesus talks about this when he comforts his disciples in, what, John 14. He says, I go now to prepare a place for you. That's part of my vision. I can't wait to see my heavenly home. Can't wait to see what it looks like. I wonder if I have to vacuum. I doubt it. I think it's going to be cool, but that's my vision for the future. I keep pressing. I'm not, like Paul said, I'm not there yet, but I keep pressing on. But see, you also need to have the passion with this vision. You see the vision, but now you've got to deal with it. And that's the passion of the Holy Spirit. And it's chasing after, I use the word God's kingdom, but you're really chasing after God's mission, which is to do what? To disciple people. To help bring other people into the same living, loving, lasting relationship that you and I already have with Jesus our Savior. No greater thing in the world than to be able to, to do that for other people. Now, here's the third way to make a difference, and that is to kind of builds on this, and that is to invest in building those who will come after you. <clears throat> Verse 9. Now, Joshua, son of Nun, that doesn't mean he didn't have any parents, by the way, John. Just don't get confused. Um, but Joshua, son of Nun... Uh, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. It's interesting. Invest in building those who will come after you. For better or worse, come about June 2013, Nancy and I will say farewell to this congregation, thereabouts. We better have some things ready and invest in people. You know, we don't want women's Bible study just to kind of go <laughs> into the tank. I mean, Nancy encourages other women to get involved and to step up into leadership. That's why we would have a DCE intern here, Katie, for better or worse. I'm going to invest some time and energy with you, as are a whole bunch of other people, because we want to see some things Continue, And we want them to be better than they were when we were here. Now, look at this story again. One of the best important things that Moses did in his entire life was to prepare Joshua to take his place. And in the same way, some of the most important work that God could ever call any of us to do would be to build other people to replace us as well. When we do church consultations... One question I've learned to ask Sunday school teachers is this. What is your most important job as a Sunday school teacher? Most people get the answer wrong. The most important answer is invest in the life of another Sunday school teacher. Now, it's important to teach little ones about Jesus. But you ought to be investing your life in somebody who can come behind you who can do this. So that when you walk away, it doesn't all just kind of go like that. I mean, God's plan is that His people build up other people. Now, right now, we've got a great leadership board. We've got a great board of elders. But um, they're not all going to live forever. <laughs> Need to find some new ones. Paul said to Timothy... 
And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust the reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. See, that's always been God's method. We are to pass leadership along like relay runners pass the baton in a race. We're to pass on our knowledge, pass on our skill, and give them a blessing as they go forward. I want you guys to make sure you tell Pastor Phil this when you see him go back. You know, because he was the guy that I looked upon as entrusting him to lead people and hopefully built something in and hope that he's doing even greater things. Make sure you tell him that. There's another sobering truth here. Are you ready for a third sobering truth? <laughs> yeah. If you do leadership right, if you do leadership right, people who come after you will accomplish way more than you did. Actually, that, that only hurts if your leadership is more about you than what God has called you to do. But you need to be aware of it. Actually, this ought to be a cause for celebration. I mean, Moses didn't enter the promised land, but guess what? He was happy as a clam at high tide that Joshua got to go. Uh, you know, he didn't get to go, but uh, the people did. They all got to go. And the truth is that you, you often accomplish much more through the people who come after you if you've done what God's called you to do than you ever would through your own efforts. So pass it on. And I would challenge all of you here today, I don't care whether you are parents, because you know, this is something all parents need to take seriously. Uh, it's your job to prepare your children to live as adults. And I take that, that it's a little bit different. It's your job as Christian parents to teach your children how to function as Christian adults. It's your job to, to help them through your leadership, through your teaching, through your example, to accomplish way more than you ever did in your lifetime. You may remember a song that my son has sung at this church twice, I think. Once when I was installed as pastor about four and a half years ago or four years ago, and once I think on the 20, my 25th anniversary in the ministry, there's a little line in there that said, May the footsteps that we leave... Lead them to believe, may all who come behind us find us faithful. See, as a parent, as a coach, as a teacher, as a boss, your job is always to help other people accomplish more than you did. If you want to make a difference, God says, invest your life in building people. Make it your life's work to push people along. Uh, help ease their suffering. Help them connect to opportunities. Help them increase in knowledge. Help them connect with Jesus and his mission. Now, none of us knows when our time will come. Although I did see the ten most dangerous places to drive on Memorial Day weekend, and one of them is Arkansas, so you might want to stay over in Texas until midnight. Uh, but you just never know when your time is going to come. By the way, Alabama was another one, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Stick around till Memorial Day is over. Uh, but when your time comes, whenever that may be, when God chooses to take you home and you leave this world, life's going to go on. It just is. Life's going to go on. Your greatest impact will be felt in what you accomplish through other people. 
So as we end this series, we've asked a lot of what-if questions. You know, what if I actually forgave other people? I mean, what if I actually did away with worry? I could have, probably the whole thing is, what if I'd actually just trust God? As we end this, I want to encourage you to ask yourself three questions. First question, am I living for something bigger than me, like the kingdom of God? I mean, the kingdom of God is a whole lot bigger than any of us are. But are you kingdom people? The second question is, am I inspiring others to keep moving towards greater things? And the way I'm going to inspire other people to greater things is to give them a great vision of what God has called all of us to do to be involved with his mission? And am I investing in building people by helping make disciples to reach all nations? I think if you could remember those questions, and you could come up with some answers. I'm just thinking about Katie for a moment. That's kind of like your job description this year, kiddo. Are you going to live for something bigger than Katie Cleveland? Well, I know, I know you well enough to know, yeah, that you're a kingdom sort of person. Young people in this congregation can be blessed. Uh, we're going to, I don't know what the word is next week, consecrate her in this service. Uh, so hope you're all here. Will you inspire all those little worm burners and curtain climbers and kiddos like these by pushing them forward closer to the kingdom? And will you invest your life in building them so that, you know, when you walk away someday when you're 60 or 70 from this place, that you left the wood pile a little higher than you found it. Be able to answer those questions? You might just change the part of the world you live in. Let's pray. Lord, we all aspire to play a role in your kingdom. At the same time, we're just utterly in awe of the fact that you would choose us. In fact, many of us probably wonder why you chose us and, and who we really are, but You don't like that old t-shirt I saw one time, God don't make no junk. I mean, God's wired us all up for a purpose, and that is to be kingdom people. Seek first my kingdom. That's what you say. Go and make disciples. And Lord, as we think about this on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came and the promise was made that when the Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be witnesses. Lord, may we be that because we know that as we help people come to know Jesus. As we build relationships between us and them that Jesus can walk over. When people come to know Jesus as we know Him and love Him as we know Him as Savior and King, it just makes the world just a little bit better each time. Lord, bless us in that pursuit in Jesus' name. Amen.